0: It's time to share your story. Welcome to Revealing Conversations with Petra Nicole. Heart-led discussions that reveal, release, and unveil. You will leave this hour lighter, brighter, and inspired. And now, here's Petra Nicole. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Revealing Conversations with Petra Nicole, your host today. I, it's been a it's been a crazy week for me. Last week, I had um, suddenly received an invitation to uh, open for Deepak Chopra in Portland, who will be here on the 29th of September, speaking at the convention center, and I, I jumped on it immediately. I was very honored to have the invitation, and then I afterwards reflected and thought, "Oh my God, what have I done?" And I sent it in just in the nick of time. So they gave us only three days uh, to decide whether or not we were picked, you know, so there were probably hundreds of people applying. And when I saw the list yesterday that I was not on the list, I have to say I was a little bit relieved <laughs> in a sort of strange way, disappointed and in another way, extremely relieved because I wasn't sure I was ready uh, to speak in front of 20 or 30,000 people, or, Well, however many people fit into that place. So uh, that was one of the crazy things, but the good news I have today is that my book, Petra's Ashes, A Transcendental Journey, the box has just arrived, so for those of you that have already ordered the book on my website, I will be signing them today, I will be autographing them today, and sending them out to you today, so you should be receiving copies within the next couple of days, or maybe three days, depending on where you live. And I just want to thank everyone for being so kind and ordering through my site and for those people that have written these wonderful comments or reviews on Amazon and on the audio uh, that was posted on YouTube under Comatose, Petros Ashes. That was wonderful. But today I have a very special guest with me here her name is uh, Judy Dippo and in fact Judy edited my book Petras Ashes we went through two stages of editing I first had another editor who now lives in Portugal uh, Heather Straube and then took over from that and in that process I think when we're editing something that is so intimate like a memoir you really connect with your editor So, if you ever write a book, if any of the listeners here today are wondering, wow, you know, maybe I should write a book, I tell you it's an amazing experience to find an editor you can connect to. And Judy did such an extraordinary job, and I could not have done it without her. There were moments where I thought, oh, I just want to forget about it. I think I'm going to just uh, uh, get rid of this manuscript and and pretend I have never done this before. And I can't publish this. I just can't go out. And she helped me actually process and get this material out to you, the listener, and to everyone who finds it online. But today, we're going to talk about Judy. Judy. Uh, Judy is also a co-author in the Life Sparks book and her subject matter in that book was postpartum depression and the chapter is called From Bizarre to Blessing. And Judy reveals in that story how women can become uh, can come to a place of greater peace and faith through hope and healing and going through postpartum depression and what that actually means. Judy is a inspirational author and speaker she's a freelance commercial writer and editor, and she writes and speaks on motherhood when it doesn't go exactly as planned, which you know if you've had children out there, anybody listening, we know it never goes as planned right and she <laughs> speaks of friendship with other women and how important that is to all the ups and downs and of course, our main subject is postpartum depression. So, Judy, are you on the
1: other line? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Petra. What a privilege it is to be here with you.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for for uh, letting me interview you today. I've been very excited about this today. This postpartum depression is something I experienced just a little bit. But now that I heard your story and read your story in the Life Sparks book, I am sure there are, must be just so many women that don 't have answers to this so i, I would love for you mm-hmm. to tell us a little bit about your story.
1: I sure will, and before I do that, I just am excited to publicly congratulate you before we get started, because Patron, and i 've known each other several months now, and we feel like we 've known each other for years and it's been so much fun to watch her process through a life story like she has has written in Petra's Ashes and i just i just have to acknowledge that Petra that it's not easy anyone that has written a very emotional story about themselves knows sometimes we go places we don't want to return to in those stories and it's it's been such a privilege to be an objective ear for you and I I just want to thank you publicly again for having me and entrusting me with such an important message that you share in your book.
0: Oh, thank you, Judy. That brings tears to my eyes actually. It's it's been quite the process. So, I really mm-hmm. honor you and
1: thank you from my heart. Oh, you are very welcome. I I'm, I'm just glad to have the opportunity to to say that because I always feel uh, humbled, I guess I would say by people's stories, as you well know, since you do that work. But uh, everybody does have a story to tell. But it, it's been fun, and, and thank you for becoming a friend throughout this process. It's been wonderful.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, thanks, Judy. Again, I I could never have done
0: this without you. So I I just love well, that you had a chance to become friends. <laughs>
1: Well, you wanted me to speak about postpartum depression and as you know, I'll do it anytime I can because it's it's just a topic even in today's contemporary society that is, is still a little bit hushed. There's a lot of myths. There's a lot of things about it that are just not spoken about, even in the medical community. And I um, had the privilege when I I wrote a book, Walking Through Postpartum Depression, Finding Light Within the Fog and Darkness, because it's kind of like being in a maze that you walk through and you just will never get out of it. I mean, that's almost the best comparison. I can give because I felt like I would never be the same again but I had the privilege of working with a consortium of of medical people whether they were therapists or medical doctors different people when I wrote my book about this and so that also brought clarity for myself, because even all these decades later, I I still am learning more about postpartum depression. But my experience, if you want me just to tell a little bit about that, um, came upon me out of nowhere. I wasn't a person that had had a history of depression. I didn't have parents with depression. I had never been exposed to it. And I also worked in OBGYN as a medical assistant, so I felt like I really understood pregnancy and postpartum and birth and all of those things Uh, but I just before delivery two months before I started having all of these phobias and just very bizarre experiences I had had to go into the hospital with the flu and had been given a lot of glucose IVs to help me become hydrated again and it really when I came out of the hospital I was not the same person I now know Uh, or I found out 18 months later that I had hypoglycemia, but I didn't know it at the time. But I think the, just Mm -hmm. like diabetes will propel people into different things, or I mean pregnancy will propel people into diabetes sometimes. For me, it was just the opposite, but I think that was just feeding the imbalance in my system. But I started having terrible phobias and felt removed from myself. And I didn't know, having never had depression, that that was was depression but I just thought okay I'm pregnant when I deliver I'll feel fine and I had these feelings like oh I don't want to deliver in the dark of night you know because something horrible was going to happen I mean phobias and superstitions and all kinds of weird things so I didn't talk to people about it Petra because I was afraid to admit these stupid things that were going through my mind, I mean, I just saw them as stupid things. I now know they were clinically driven things that i couldn't control but uh mm-hmm. i didn't get i didn't get better when I delivered, and I got all these physical symptoms as well uh rapid heartbeat, uh, terrible um, sweating and fatigue and shakiness and well if you look up hypoglycemia there's two pages of symptoms and that's mm-hmm. pretty much what I mm-hmm. what I had and so mm-hmm. that it kind of went so on So did you from tell there. your husband? Did you did, did you I did tell, your tell husband? my husband and I told my mm-hmm. mother because and I had such bizarre phobias that it was very very embarrassing to me uh mm-hmm. and I I really felt like I was going to die And because, I guess, I had worked in in, um, medicine, I had weird things. I thought I had syphilis. I thought I had multiple sclerosis. I thought I had all these very strange, sort of uncommon diseases. And I think it was just because that's what I had worked around and and that kind of thing, perhaps that's why my mind went there. But it's pretty embarrassing to tell your husband, gee, I'm sure I've got syphilis, (laughs) you know. Yeah, I mean because no yeah. There was no of course there was no basis for that and so that's why it was so ridiculous. But the more I fought that thought I I it became more ingrained in me. And it's just that wheel of thought that went around and around and around and uh it's interesting because I thought my husband was so sweet. He says, "Well, I'll go get a test, and you can go get another test, and then we'll be done with this, right?" And but that, but of course, that didn't make one iota of difference because there was no basis for it in the first place. So it was learning how phobias just. I, I compare it to. I think I wrote in my story how I would wake up in the morning and here I have this beautiful daughter my first daughter was perfect fortunately she was a really good baby I was able to care for her it just took every bit of energy I had and I know later my mom said to me we were concerned we didn't know if we should leave you with her and that kind of thing but they they just tried to take it one day at a time with me but I would wake up in the morning and you know, that that second when life is perfect and then suddenly these floods of thoughts would start in, I say it's like a tiger that was waiting to pounce. I felt like I had this tiger after me all the time because none of my logical thinking uh, replaced those phobias or displaced those phobias would be a better way to say mm-hmm. it. And it was, I would say to you, and it's hard to even explain the hell on earth that it was, but uh, mm-hmm. fear to me, is one of the greatest hells people can live in. And, uh, again, I had not been ever that kind of personality, so this was was so bizarre. And I literally, and, you know, I say these words that I thought I was going crazy, and we kind of chuckle about it, right? But in, in all seriousness, I really thought I was going crazy, I was going to die, and that my daughter would be motherless, my husband would be a widower, and that would be that and there was just no getting around it and i was so convinced of that uh fortunately i you know postpartum depression and i'll go into this in a minute with you um goes into a lot of different forms but fortunately for me i did not ever have horrible thoughts towards my daughter or some women have thoughts of of hurting their child or something And and this is a very important point, Petra. I want to make so I don't forget to say this. I learned when I was working with all the medical people on my book and in this consortium in the community here that if a woman thinks they're going to do something to their child, it's really not very likely it will ever happen. And a lot of women in postpartum depression have those thoughts, and I've had many, many women when I'm speaking come up and just admit to me thoughts that they had and how and just of course ball up in tears um, over it and i I explained to them that it's more of an obsessive compulsive disorder uh, a woman who really those women we see in the headlines that do do horrible things to their children are in psychosis, and a woman mm-hmm. in in that situation never thinks it's bad what they're going to do. So I just say to women, if they're thinking those things, they can almost rest assured they will never do it. I mean, if they're thinking it, but they feel that it's a horrible thing, they can rest assured they will never do it. It's just an obsessive compulsive, Mm -hmm. when in fact they almost want to care for their baby more carefully. And that's why they're having those thoughts. You know, they're concerned Mm -hmm. for their baby. So I don't know but if there must be that. a lot of
0: guilt that comes out of thinking those thoughts, I would imagine.
1: Oh, horrible guilt, and I'm a bad mother. Mm-hmm. I would say the things that postpartum depression, the, the four, three or four things is I'm a bad mother. I'm all alone. No one else. You seriously think, and I know other women feel the same that are in serious clinical postpartum depression, you you don't think any other mother any other woman has ever felt the way you do you think you're a total anomaly you think no one else has ever had this experience because bizarre is the best word for it seriously because it's just mm-hmm. very very bizarre and i think when you take the most special time in a woman's life there's very few other things that rate up there with giving birth and it's heartbreaking when mm-hmm. You give birth, and you're thrust into a situation of being consumed in postpartum depression. And I know Brooke Shields has written a book. It's quite good. I've read it. Um, there's, I, I can't think of other books right now, but there are several uh, books out there. If people you know, go into Amazon and look, fortunately, mm-hmm. there's a few books that do explain it more than there was when I gave mm-hmm. birth my daughter will actually be 40 next week. And so it's very fitting that I'm talking to you today because uh, it was 40 years ago, I can't believe it, but 40 years ago that I experienced this. So,
0: mm-hmm. so are there yeah. support groups? There should be a PPD anonymous, postpartum depression anonymous. They should have support There really is. I know.
1: There should mm-hmm. be because there's so mm-hmm. much. That's what I started to say. The other thing is shame. Women... I I mean, here I worked. I finally went into my OBGYN, my obstetric gynecology doctors that I worked for, and told them I I was so humiliated. And even then, though, what happened is they sent me to a psychiatrist who then put me on antidepressants and anti-anxiety, and also I had such a rapid heart rate all the time that they had to put me on a heart medication, which usually is for old people, right? So... It was weird, but nobody ever, Petra, ever really looked at me and said, this is not that uncommon. You're not the only one. You're in postpartum depression. It's not something you choose to do. It's not something you can avoid. It's clinical. It's physiological. No one really ever explained it to me. And that's what I think is so sad, that... Uh, even today when I was working in this consortium here in my community, we made a list of doctors and both medical and psychiatrists and psychologists who we knew were informed about postpartum depression because it's kind of the luck of the draw who you might choose mm-hmm. to go to, whether you would be confirmed in the sense that you're, you're okay, you're going to get well. I think the one thing women need to understand is they will get over this. This won't last forever, but it feels when it's to, mine was about 18 months um, that I went on, and I had a lot of different things that happened during that time that were so influential in how how I recovered. But uh, I started I started on Dr. Atkins' diet, which is a very low carbohydrate. Someone brought me his book and told me. This sounds like you because the two pages of symptoms were so much like mine, which makes most doctors look at you and think you're a hypochondriac, right? But after mm-hmm. about six weeks on that diet, my, my physical symptoms and my mental symptoms so improved. And I, I, for many years, didn't eat any refined sugar or refined carbohydrates, Uh, Through my second pregnancy, which I did go on to have a second uh, child, a son, and uh, I did not eat. I still had some postpartum depression, but it was much less due to diet, and I can't emphasize to women how important diet is. Uh, A good diet, avoiding that sugar. There's a reason they wrote the book The Sugar Blues, you know, back Mm in the 70s, uh, sugar is a bad chemical for us. Not that I don't eat sugar now, I do, but I have to eat a lot of protein with it to feel my best. Mm-hmm. So, well, there's yeah. uh,
0: recently uh, there's been a, a study done, again, not a study, but there's been some disclosure recently, that at some point, you know, they decided they would make the fat ingredients in food the big deal and not the sugar and play down the sugar, but that's now Mm -hmm. all uncovered, and it's really out now how really Mm -hmm. terrible sugar is for us Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. cancer-forming it is and and how, you know, I, I personally try to stay away from sugar and have for many, many, many decades and uh, mm-hmm. lived, you know a vegetarian diet at some point and, and raw food diet and I sprout and that sort of thing but i I think you're really onto to this, and maybe you experienced this so that you could- can share this with so many women and uh you know that inspired writing your book so um you know for mm-hmm. some reason you had to go through this, but uh, certainly eighteen months of this would be hell, I would imagine it would be would just something it it
1: was. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was I I um fortunately as I say different steps along the way things happened. My mother, interestingly, my mom didn't have any depression with either myself or her, my my brother, but she had a friend back in the 50s who had had a similar experience and she phoned her and this woman described how she felt and my mother got off the phone and told me And I I compare it to taking a balloon that's almost about ready to pop and you release the air, you know, and that was the relief I felt when my mother shared the words from this woman because I thought, I'm not the only one, because I seriously (laughs) thought I was. And that's, that's a hard thing to put into words to tell how that feels, but it was just such a strange, strange feeling. And... It was such a relief mm-hmm. that this woman, and mm-hmm. so that happened, and that helped me know that. And she was well, and she had gone on to have another pregnancy too. And it encouraged me. It didn't didn't change the symptoms I had or anything, but it gave me hope. I guess at that point,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I had hope that I would get better. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that and, were uh, never the only one to remind me of a story of. Uh,
0: Uh, somebody that I, uh, one of my partners I was with for eight years who died in a car crash, and he had severe dyslexia. I mean severe, Mm -hmm. and he thought he was the only one until he and his father were in Australia. And I think it was Dr. Oz or or one of those talk show hosts was talking Mm -hmm. about dyslexia, and his father was standing there watching this, and he turned around to his boy, who was now 18 years old, and he finally understood for the first time what actually, oh. what, what his problem was. Because for so long he thought he was he was not smart. He thought he was retarded.
1: Isn't that so sad? He was 18 before he knew he had dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's because we didn't why have a name for it then. Right, mm-hmm. right. Oh, that's so sad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and I can imagine how you must have felt. During that time where you think you're going crazy, you think you're having all these these, these phobias and horrible thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. and you want to jump out a window, and you think you're an mm-hmm. unfit mother, and people are thinking mm-hmm. you might be an unfit mother, and so you're already very, very tuned in. As it is, exactly. you're picking up on other people's vibrations and Oh thoughts, yeah. And that doesn't make it any better. <laughs> so. Oh,
1: I know. Well, and it had to be frightening. My my husband, I've I've said to him so many times. It was funny when I was writing. Um, I have a book called Refreshing Hope that shares a bit about uh, this story as well. And. And I asked my husband when I was writing that book, as I was sitting here on the keyboard, Patriot, you can relate to this, I know, typing away, having to force myself to go back to what that felt like, you know, and the tears are flowing as I'm typing the words for my book. And I went out to, of course, just talk to my husband for a minute. And then I said to him, how did you feel, you know, when I was going through this as the husband? And he just said, completely and totally helpless and scared to death because you don't know what to do. And I think... People need to know there's resources so they do know you know what to do and can get some support, mm-hmm. but this was in the seventies, and so there just wasn't there just wasn't there wasn't computers mm-hmm. for one thing I mean there were mm-hmm. computers, but we didn't we didn't have well i don't know they hadn't even made computers yet then I guess so it's hard to imagine isn't it <laughs> as I say that we forget so- what life was like. Before computers so to get a, help, I
0: have a question. Do you do you think that a that a lot of it was uh, the diet, or or do you you know do you feel that much of much of what happened to you could have changed by changing your diet and having awareness around
1: uh, what to oh, eat and what to eat? Absolutely, and to eat? absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I say this because with my second pregnancy, I went into it informed, right and. Uh, mm-hmm. What and I do truly think what happened when I had the flu and I went into the hospital before that at seven months pregnant and they had to give me the IV of glucose to hydrate me I think that just pushed me over the edge with the blood sugar and of course nobody was testing me for anything because I didn't have any history of hypoglycemia or diabetes or anything so Yes, I think that started it with that with all that sugar that was given me in the hospital. And then I definitely, seriously, and I say this, when I went on Dr. Atkins' diet, I thought it might be one more thing I would try because throughout that 18 months, I tried lots of different things and nothing helped. So, you know, it wasn't just a mind over matter thing, right? It was not. Mm-hmm. It was physiological and that became very evident. And so, yes, when I went on the no sugar, and we're talking I was only eating 18 grams or less of car- of any kind of carbohydrate, really. I was eating a lot of protein, which I had noticed before I read Dr. Atkins' book, and I didn't put it together in my head until later, but that when I would eat dinner at night, I always felt better after dinner because we've always been meat eaters and so we'd have a pork chop or whatever we would have for dinner and I always felt better at night. And then once I understood more about, you know, carbohydrates and sugars and all these things and how our our bodies, you know, respond to these things, then I knew that too. So yes, definitely diet makes a difference and when I had my... Son, my second pregnancy, I I did also. I have to admit that I still had a series of phobias. Little things said to me could set me off on a phobia. You know, it was really strange. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that, like superstitious. You know, I was like, it was just anxiety. It was it was just terrible. But but nothing to the degree that I had with my daughter. So. Absolutely, definitely, for sure, diet made a difference, you know. Mm -hmm. So we can only encourage women. The sugar blues
0: wasn't just a song. It was actually a real blues that went on for 18 months for you. Exactly. I, I, I couldn't help myself. You know how much I love to do research. So I had to pull it up on Wikipedia just now. Uh, So Mm -hmm. for any of the listeners out there, if you uh, plug in uh, sugar blues, then something will come up that, you know, the, the status of sugar as a product of refining was compared to drugs heroin Mm -hmm. is nothing but a chemical they take the juice of a poppy and they refine it into opium and then they refine it to morphine and finally to heroin sugar is nothing but a chemical they take the juice of the cane or the beet and the and the refine and refine it to molasses and then they refine it to brown sugar and finally strange white crystals that we call sugar so Mm uh there you go. It's it's really a drug, and and you know I see kids out there that are drinking those thirty two ounces of Coca Cola or soda pop. I oh, just cringe because yeah. I'm so worried about them of what will happen to these kids that are, uh, you know, in taking so much sugar into their diet on a daily basis. And we are. Oh all my
1: goodness. We are, and you know what? What also I'll add to that. I'm so glad you shared that because. Um, I'll add that what people, uh, most people understand, but many don't think into nutritional terms, but uh, one of the things that people don't realize is that refined flour, white flour metabolizes in your body just like sugar. And so it's definitely as as harsh for your body if you're sensitive to that like I was. If I sit and eat four biscuits, I might as well have sit and eat two candy bars. Do you know what I mean? It metabolizes the same for me. And so I think people need to, if they're having any issues, even fatigue. I mean, if I want to be tired... I eat sugar, like during the holidays i 'm always really tired because I eat a lot more sugar, and I know it's going to be, and I always say, oh don't eat so much sugar, but you know then I do, and there you go you go, you know, but um I think understanding that the white flour and the white sugar and it they're just not good for us i went I had my physical couple months ago and my doctor who's in her forties, she said to me, she said, Judy, this is the first generation, the generation under you that will be less healthy than their parents. And meaning like our mm-hmm. children, Petra, won't be as healthy as us, just using them as an example, um, because the diet, the American diet has just gotten worse and worse and worse, you know. And it's very sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad. I I
0: would like to add to this that, um, you know, even even potatoes
1: Mm -hmm. turn into
0: sugar and carrots are things that are high sugar contents so you know eating items I have a sugar blog now actually I have this site on oh you do I up. didn't know that yeah. oh well on, on Facebook called PDX Studios, and I post uh, articles about you know recipes and healthy things and sometimes not so healthy things but I mm-hmm. do uh, my last article was about sprouting because so many people say to me you know how do you sprout it's so easy it takes two seconds and you can, anybody can do it and it has more mm-hmm. proteins and and vitamins and minerals than any other food you could get a hold of, or a lot mm-hmm. of different food that you could get a hold of. And I would like to say here, when my son was little, uh, he had some peer pressure, obviously, you know, being vegetarian, there was a certain amount of pressure, and we ate mostly organic food. And people would say to me often, when I owned a juice bar and vegetarian restaurant in Roseburg, I said, well, I can't afford organic food. And I would make the point to my son who said, well, organic food is expensive, Mom. Living this way is expensive. And mm-hmm. I would go and ask him to buy, you know, a fast food uh, meal from McDonald's or somewhere. And he would come home and spend maybe 8 to $10 mm-hmm. with everything, with a, with a smoothie and French fries and a burger and the whole nine yards. And then I would take that money and buy vegetables. And Mm fruits. And show him the difference. Yes, and I would get a big bag. Oh, that's
1: a great (laughs) analogy. Oh, that, what, brilliant for those mothers (laughs) listening. So how Mm -hmm. many bags of, you'd get like a great big bag of vegetables and fruits for the price of the McDonald's?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) And he would be so shocked and said, please don't argue with me over this because you can never convince me that this is cheaper. It's Mm -hmm. not. And As a result of it, he just turned 25, and you met him at my book signing party in Wolfsburg, and he's a really neat kid. You know, now when I come to his house and I bring something over that's a a treat, he would look at the label and read it and say, please don't bring those things in my house, Mom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it lovely when they really become adults? It takes to about 25 when they, they really do become adults, and all those things that you've to them and taught them and shown them, suddenly start coming back at you. It's just so fun to see. <laughs> I love and that. I really thought he went into
0: one ear and out of the other and I never thought he listened or he argued with me over what he could eat and not eat, uh-huh. you know, and it was this constant debate that went on for years and now he preaches to me what I can and cannot eat. So this is very funny for me.
1: Well, mothers everywhere that are listening to this, I want them to hear that because um, it's. I, I say it to moms all the time because because a lot of my message is for moms to encourage moms today in all their roles. You know, I I, I like them to know that there is a time when your child comes back to you and says, you know what, my, my son wrote me a note once and it said I would have been a goner without you, Mom, was part of the note, and I remember just... Feeling like that is more precious than gold, you know, <laughs> to have them Aww. acknowledge that you made such a difference in their life, you know, and uh, it's pretty. But it, but all moms get there. It's just some moms. Uh, if anybody reads my refreshing home book, sometimes you you're you kind of have to drag out with them for a while to places you don't want to go, you know. But it it mm-hmm. all returns to you. All that you invest in your child, I believe. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I love
0: it. And so, uh, your book again is called. Can you can you uh, tell the, us the postpartum the
1: book is? It's interesting. People will have to write me if they're interested in this. This was published by a publisher who has gone out of business, and my, they were marketing this independently. And so, I but I have copies. It's called Walking Through Postpartum Depression. Finding light within the fog and darkness, and people could write me at Judy at J L D Writes, which is W R I T E S dot com, or they could go on my website, just judydipple dot com, and of course my last name is D I P P E L. A lot, of, most of the time people want to spell it L E, but it's D I P P E L dot com. Judy Dipple.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: So yes, thank you. the
0: the moral of the story is thank God now we are forty years later and there's mm-hmm. more consciousness uh, about diet related issues in 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 relation to mental issues also you know so we now oh, know absolutely. that I can influence it but I also know that you have quite you had quite an awakening um, uh, by by the time your child was born, and you were connected spiritually to
1: mm-hmm.
0: a place that brought more insight into what how your life is now progressing today, and your connection to uh, Jesus,
1: and right. I would love
0: for you right. to share that story because I
1: oh. really relate
0: to that through my own heart. Yes and my near death experience, so we both have that in common. Yes,
1: we do, we do. And and yes, I I was a person who was raised in a Christian home, as you were, you were raised in a Catholic home. But what we gain from that isn't always maybe what what our parents hope, right? We have to go on our own journey. And uh I I had been married pretty young at twenty and My husband and I didn't go to church. We you know, we believed in God but we didn't go to church and I didn't really even have a bible in my home and I wasn't around we were in college and I then we were young, you know, young professionals I guess you would say, working and trying to you know, get our first home and those things that you're often focusing on and we didn't go to church and I wouldn't say we deliberately didn't go to church but we Um, just didn't. Maybe we thought we were too capable, too able, too cool, I don't know. We didn't go. And my husband had been raised with grandparents that were very strong Christians, uh, fundamental Christians, and he had a lot of basis within him for understanding, even though his parents, he never went to church with his parents. But uh, anyway, long story short, uh, about three months into my pregnancy, some friends of ours that my husband worked with invited us to their home at Christmas time with all the smells of Christmas and the lights and just the the whole thing. It was lovely, and we thought we were just going over there for dinner. And they had their pastor and his wife there, and I think my husband probably had arranged this somehow. But uh, one thing, I hid from most people how I was feeling, but somehow with the six of us, that evening in a comfortable safe environment I shared about my postpartum experience and the pastor asked if he could pray with me and I again I had prayed in church but I didn't have it wasn't raised in a family where we knelt down and prayed together and uh did that kind of thing I just had never been around it and he I knelt down and he placed his hand on my head and we prayed the the Christian prayer of salvation you know that I that I knew jesus that i accepted that he had died and rose again for me and that he would come again and suddenly as i knelt down patriots it's hard to put it into words of experience as you well know because we worked hard on some of your experiences in your life to put it into words it's not always easy but is that it was as if jesus for the first time just said i love you daughter you're my daughter it was like i was the only person in the whole world at that moment, as the Spirit of Jesus just came upon me. And suddenly, I I just knew the real person of Jesus Christ. And I guess, for lack of better words, I was born again, you know, to to knowing that He was real, He was the Son of God, and He loved me. Suddenly, He loved me. And I stood up from that prayer, and I wanted to shout on the rooftops, I mean, I literally was a changed person in a split second there. And I wasn't a bad person before, but I just didn't know Jesus personally. And so I, I, I was soon to find out that not everybody would understand what had happened to me. And I was soon to find out that it doesn't happen the same for everybody. But for whatever reason, God's grace extended to me that night. And I suddenly wasn't afraid anymore. It, it didn't change my physical symptoms i wasn't cured but i overcame the fear because i suddenly as i opened the bible the words of the bible came to life for me and it, it's beyond anything i can't even express except that it, i know that there's there's real guidance there not only in the bible but in the spirit of the living god you know and Mm-hmm. So it was quite a wonderful journey. I I I just will never get over it. I'll never get over it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. But I I know what you mean um, by your words uh, that the Bible came to life. I had mm-hmm. this experience actually with my teacher in India. And mm-hmm. I was actually told, really, by a vision with um, with Christ, with Jesus, that this teacher will come for me. And mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what path you're taking; they all lead mm-hmm. to a similar place. And I, for the first time in my life, I opened the Bible. and Said, "This makes sense suddenly. I don't know why it suddenly makes sense, but the, Isn't jump, that the words literally jumped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah."
1: Well, and you were in okay. India when you were. This was when you were in India, and were you were, what language were you reading the Bible? English or German?
0: In English, in English, yeah. So had, even that added to hand. it, your
1: your second language. <laughs> you know, I think that's that shows that's even more so. That's so wonderful. I. I think God gives us those points of grace to prove how real he really is, Petra, you know, and how you reach certain places in different, taking different journeys, but you still, you know, reach a greater understanding and a knowledge of God. I, that's, I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Tim, well, thank you.
1: I uh, I was uh, I was uh,
0: looking at some uh, meditation centers in India. You know, there were the different organizations that started mass meditations where they had fifty thousand people meditating at the same time or praying, whatever the word is. It doesn't really matter. if
1: We're mm-hmm. using
0: praying, meditating, chanting. You know, one way or another, it's, it's a similar vibration or the same vibration and. I thought about Syria and what's going on over there the other day, and I said, God, what we need to do is we we need to organize a a global uh, day again, either we're drumming or praying or the Native American Indians that are fighting right now for this pipeline issue that's going on. You know, there's there's Mm -hmm. power. There's a lot of power that can shift things into a more positive a sphere, if we all work together, and not cause the separation. That uh, Obama's speech this morning was quite uh, wonderful. I thought to address that, and you know, I I'm I can't vote in this country because I'm a foreigner here. I am a legal alien so with a green card that i renew every mm-hmm. 10 years you know so right, i'm not really right. politi- i'm not politically i don't really have a political uh orientation in america you know i can vote mm-hmm. in germany but not over here but i i'm an observer of what's going on and all i know right now is that we really do need to all come together lovingly and accept and embrace our differences and move forward and evolve into a higher place. And the only way that can happen is if we all go inward and be less focused on the outside. So what I mean by that...
1: yeah.
0: Go ahead, go ahead.
1: ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. You finish. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) Well, I was going to say, focusing on the inside, meaning... goes. Get quiet if you don't know how to meditate get it, go in the forest and go, take a walk, but center yourself and 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 align yourself with spirit with your inner spirit with the with God, mm-hmm. and that way you will radiate radiate out more peace from within and
1: not cause you know, more I'm, ripple effects you know it's interesting because I was just reading um i'm reading this soul care this book on soul soul care and as you were talking. I was thinking how really, you know, there's that part of all humanity that, that only the soul, God placed in us a yearning for him, you know, and only he can really fill that. But in America especially, our busy, busy lives, uh, people, and I, I say this again maybe to mothers that are listening, it's so hard to find that 20 minutes, but even if it's 20 minutes to, like you say, center yourself or, or pray or meditate or just find quiet just turn off the tv mm-hmm. turn off the cell phone shut down the computer and and i know that it's so competitive for mothers today all people all women all men really but uh that quiet has become almost foreign to so many people they feel like they're not they're not they have to be doing all the time and it's such a lie. It's such a lie. Mm-hmm. It really is.
0: And, mm-hmm. uh, I... well, I used to get so upset when my son would fall asleep with the television on in his room. I would, I would, uh, you know, I would take the TV out. I said, okay, I'm plugging this. We're taking it out,
1: and Mm -hmm. this
0: is a a struggle that, you know, I tried to um, help him understand. And my partner Jerry, he says, you know, in a different, he was in a in a relationship with someone for ten years, and they had to have the television in the bedroom. I said, how can you sleep with that thing on at night? It's like just the radiation that comes off it is bad for you.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, just to have that noise all the time would make me crazy. But, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I just I get really tired of, of TV. I don't turn it on during the day hardly ever. Uh, but mm. I enjoy certain certain TV, of course, like everybody. But I really enjoy just the quietness. My office is in my home. And so I, me and my dog hang out and I write and we walk. And so I, I'm learning to you know, make time for that, that important quiet. But also when God placed on my heart to write to women, I, I went through this period where I thought, who am I to write, Lord? You know, who am I to write? And I had to learn that I had to rely on him. And sometimes uh, we have to realize it's not all about us, but that just like what you are were saying, when you quiet yourself, you realize there's a spiritual process to to getting where to the guidance, the strength, whatever it is you're you're seeking at that time. Uh it's a it's that. a process. But we don't find it if we don't quiet ourselves to listen. We just don't. Mm-hmm. You know? Well Jack Johnson
0: has a song about movie frames. I don't know if you know that song, but he says we move so fast we miss the frames. Oh no. So. <laughs> It's a great song. I like to sing that around the fire, but I was just uh, I was just thinking as you were speaking about, you know, how you do love some certain shows, and I know uh, that I could become addicted to television if I had TV, so I don't even buy it, so I just oh. get movies occasionally, because I know that uh-huh. if I turn it on, I'll never
1: turn it off.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's good to know that about yourself. Some people like that background noise all the time or that that stimulus or not feeling alone or whatever it might be, you know. It's it's funny. Um Yeah. I just
0: yeah. yeah.
1: It's 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 good. There's some good things. There's some good things about it and some like all things, isn't it? It's like in moderation everything is, is okay probably, but yeah. Well, My even, even, actually, sugar. even sugar. <laughs> Yeah, right, there you go. I know I can't ever say publicly that I don't eat sugar because people invite me and I eat sugar, you know. But uh, I certainly have to eat it in moderation, that is for sure. So, gosh, it's just,
0: yeah, You were were starting to say something about your daughter. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying that she, she,
1: yeah, they also have lived where they haven't, uh, I, I give them credit they they had the kids not have cable tv um they really haven't had cable tv all of my grandchildren's lives you know they watch movies and so they can select certain things and of course the kids watch they come to my house and they watch cable tv right because it's such a treat but uh they've been they've stuck to their guns when technology you know with with all that and i have to admire them because it's not easy my granddaughter is 15 and she just got a cell phone her first cell phone so some kids are getting them at eight years old i'm sure but she didn't get one till 15 so and Mm. she didn't get a fancy cell phone just a little flip phone you know so they didn't want to make it too convenient for her to to Mm -hmm. you know be on the internet and all that so i think that's a big challenge parents have today making those decisions you know the the good part of these Technologies and the bad part, right? It's tough
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, there's uh, there's gonna be some wonderful things that come out of it uh, you know the latest is that we soon don't have to drive our own vehicles and they drive themselves. I'm very disappointed because I love driving
1: <laughs> yeah, I do too, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Nothing like a good road trip, right, you know. <laughs> I love driving,
0: especially with uh, convertibles.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll have to say to the listeners about Mm -hmm. your driving. Just in the short time I've known Petra, let's see, she's driving, uh, you know, her half hour into Portland. She's driving to Eugene a couple hours. She's driving to Roseburg. She's driving to Medford. She's driving to Woodlands, probably any of those places any week, any given week, right? You're always on the road, so... (laughs) I know you must
0: love to write. No, I take my time out where I just sit. Like right now, I've been here for three days and haven't really gone out very much. And I'm sitting in front of a beautiful lake and looking out the window and getting some work mm-hmm. done. Actually, I, mean, I have to. I have to really. You know, discipline myself not to get distracted and just go places. Because I know it wastes a lot of time if I just go and say, "Oh, I'll run over here real quick," and then you know, Mm -hmm. six hours have gone by and I didn't get anything done on my on the work that I'm to work on on the book that I'm working on right now. So you know, it's always a battle. And you know this because you're working on a new project right now. So do you want to share with us what you're working on right now, Judy?
1: well it's actually it's um an interesting interesting job. I take freelance jobs and so i work i this is about the sixth book in the last oh four years or so that i've I've either collaborated with someone on their book as they write it or I um, edit as I did with with patrons, and we did some collaboration discussions as well to prioritize things she wanted in her book. But this uh man I just started working with last week and he is um a Christian evangelist that speaks about two hundred times a year throughout the world and he's writing his first book and he actually work it's it's quite quite interesting because it's a big undertaking. He wants he is speaking to seven thousand people um November seventh and he wants his book for that. <laughs> so we are writing just a, a rather short book. I say that it's going to be like twenty-five thousand words, and uh, take a lot of the topics themes are from his speaking. So it's really quite quite easy I say this laughingly quite easy to pull this together but we've gotten a good start so (laughs) it's that's incredible God I'm really honored that you
0: took an hour out of your time to speak to us today Judy oh (laughs) gosh this has
1: to be out in print in November (laughs) I know I know it's it's really been funny because it's yeah and 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 as you know well you and I we were we were just seamless as we started working together. I don't think we ever had any... It, was, it wasn't It was like we had to really understand each other's voice, you know, when you're talking about the voice in writing. But, um, you know, with a man, it's always a little bit different, especially, I think. And so we've talked on the phone, he and I, several times now. So I'm getting his voice down in the sense of his style, you know, for when I'm writing. But it. I'm not totally... So I might spend six hours writing something, but not sure it's really quite going to match his voice. So we're still getting to know each other, you know, in that regard. So um, it's funny. And and he's a black man, so I told him yesterday, I said I went into a bunch of slang thinking I'd use a bunch of slang trying to trying to hip, hip up this writing for him, you know. And then he told me he's th- he's only 33, but he said I'm really an old soul. So he says you don't have to put all that. That slang. So that's just a good example of as you're getting to know each other, you know, it, it's pretty fun. So
0: yeah, I can't, I can't I, wait it, to it just, read that book.
1: Oh, it's so much fun to I, I can't even express. It's as much fun to work with someone else on their book as writing my own. I have to say. I mean, it doesn't feel quite the same, of course, but the the reward of it is. I just love. I mean, like you and I working together. The great reward of just seeing your excitement about your book, and maybe that's why I'm doing this work, obviously. I just really love seeing people make take that writing that's in their head and get it down on paper. It's, it's really fun. And uh, you have mm. people tell their stories to you. Same probably feeling is maybe similar as, as it reveals things to them as they talk to you.
0: Revealing stories, extracting stories for transformation. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. I love it. And now, now I know that you have a gift for our listener that you are uh, sharing here. Do you, can, would you please speak on that?
1: Yes, I had to remember what my gift was. Let's see. <laughs> Refreshing uh, hope in
0: God. Email to Oh Judy. yes.
1: Yes, Refreshing Hope in God. It was my first book, and it does have one chapter on the postpartum depression, and it also walks through motherhood with all the emotions, whether it's guilt. One chapter is on guilt. It's on fear. It's on dreams. It's on laughter. Uh, this book is the book I had to write. It was my first book, and I would love to give listeners, I will send them a free copy, of a signed copy, if they will just contact me again, uh, either through my website at com or if they will just email me at judy at Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S dot com, I will mail them a free copy. I would love to give them a copy of this book. So uh, it's one of those books Thank that you. mothers find really helpful. I think especially moms that are in teen years that are challenging. So the postpartum depression and the teen years, but also just that journey, the motherhood journey, is is one that is the hardest job we'll ever do. And it's always my honor to be able to share this book with moms. So I would well, welcome people to write me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You are thank welcome. Thank you so much
0: for the show today as we're wrapping up. Oh, uh, I'm I'm excited. Uh, this hour went by so quickly. I just realized it was eleven fifty-seven. Oh my goodness! In three minutes, I know know, but that's what happens between you and me. We can be on the phone for hours, and then just it's like five minutes. So, Judy, uh-huh, uh-huh. I just uh, I'm so delighted you're my friend, and I am excited to work with you in the future. And uh, wish you best of luck with your new project, and hope to see you very soon. In fact, I'll see you on Friday at the book signing on at the waterfront at Bistro um, at Thirst Bistro at the waterfront in Portland. And uh, to just wrap this up, uh, if you go to my website. Petra, Nicole.com, P-E-T-R-A-N-I-C-O-L-L. You can uh, get a recording of this uh, talk today with Judy Dipple, And check out my website. Sign up for the newsletter, and I'll send you a MP3 of my golden light meditation and also a 60-minute of uh, complimentary coaching session with me. I'm uh, very excited to meet you in person, so please reach out. Uh, again, the book signing is at Thuris Bistro at 6.30 on Friday, and it's all listed on the website. Please visit me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash transformational Story Coach. Oh, there we go, 90 seconds. And Judy, again, much love. Have a wonderful day. And thank, thank you, you to the listeners. We wish you all the best. Have a glorious day. And see you soon.
1: Thank you, Petra. Good night, or goodbye.
0: <laughs> Bye. Good night to you, too. Bye. <laughs>